You're listening to the Sped Prep Academy podcast. Your host, Jennifer Hofferberg, is an award-winning veteran special educator who shares her experience, knowledge, and passion to help other special educators survive and thrive in this profession. Join her and other guests as they share tips and tricks of the trade for the ever-crazy, completely overwhelming, laugh-so-you-don't-cry profession of being a special education teacher. All right. Well, we are back for the second segment of the SPED Teacher Small Talk, where my monthly co-host, Paul Hubbard, joins me for an open conversation about a topic that we choose on air. So how are you tonight, Paul? Oh, you know, doing good. Got several IEP meetings coming up. So, you know, you know how that goes. Just uh, they seem to all come at once. Just living the dream as a special ed teacher. Oh, yeah. So this is how these episodes go. In case you missed the last one, we have created an electronic spinner type of thing with a whole bunch of different topics dealing with the field of special education. And each week we will spin the spinner live on air and discuss that topic. It's not scripted and we are not going to be using notes. We will not know the topic beforehand. So are you ready? You ready to go? Oh, yeah. Let's see what we got this week. All right. All right. Well, we, and today's topic is transition. So uh, that, that's a, a broad Ooh, one. So like boy. when I think of transition, I think <laughs> of how it's so different for elementary teachers versus middle school teachers versus high school teachers. So your experience is where is the special education teacher's first um, experience with having to write the transition part of an IEP. So you just want to talk about what it looks like at your level? Well, yeah. So it's it's in my district, we have kind of a weird split. So we have elementary, which is like early elementary, and that's split between four different buildings. And then it comes to one upper elementary, which is where I work. And then they transition to middle school, which is like seventh and eighth grade, and then to high school. So there's a lot of transitions. And so the transition from elementary to upper elementary is probably the biggest transition uh, because you're making so many different changes because every school is different and you're trying to combine that all into one school. So since I'm fifth grade, I do the fifth of the fifth and sixth grade of the upper elementary. So I get the incoming uh, transitions from the, well, first through fourth grade level IEPs. Um, that is, so my role is on the receiving end, seeing all those things come in. Typically though, they do a student survey. That's a big part of it. You know, what is the student, the direction the student wants to go? Can they recognize where their weaknesses are? Uh, and do they know what they need to do? They, do they know their goals? Do they know where they want to be? Uh, then there's a lot of aspects of the transition plan that pertain to, um, the minutes that they will receive in the other upper elementary level. And that can get really complicated, especially when you have four different schools with four different schedules and what's going to work best. Uh, and we don't have co-taught. They do at the middle school level, but not at our level. So we have to really try to think 
about how we're doing that because they do have Kotat in some of the elementaries, but not our building. So we have to really adjust because ours is similar to the middle school, but it's also different uh, in that we don't have Kotat. We don't have block rotation uh, in the same way that they do. So <laughs> complication of transition meetings is oh, a little over the top at our school district specifically. And that's just what you get at certain districts. You know, it's, sometimes it's, there's like distinct transition times and other time, other districts, you have several different transitions along the way. Um, not saying which one is good or which one is bad, but there's definitely some pros and cons to each. So at the elementary level, whether it's early elementary or late elementary, what transition looks like there is more of just the the questionnaires, you know, asking kids what they're interested in, like you said, kind of exploring different um, or exposing, I guess would be a better word, exposing them to all the different things that they might could be in the future and exposing them to how to um, to learn those skills to be able to be a better student, you know, throughout throughout their education. And then at the middle school level, transition looks more about expanding on what you've done in elementary schools and then kind of start making that official plan. Do you, so at age 14 in my district, we have to have the plan in place when they're 14. Is that how it is in your district? Yes. Yeah. We, we do not have any fourth 14 year olds. We are close. We have a couple 13 year olds, but most mm -hmm. of our, our kids uh, leave us at 12. So we don't have to deal with the official transition plan. Um, but there are transition meetings coming into fifth grade and then leaving sixth grade and going to mm -hmm. the middle school. So when they're 13 and they're getting ready to, when they turn 14 during the IEP year, they have to have a plan in place. And that plan is going to look a little bit more um, in depth as far as transition goes for us. You know, we start using some of those informal, those assessment tools, informal assessment tools to be able to start looking at some of their, oh, their, their interests, like interest inventories, you know, aptitude tests, things like that. So transition at the middle school level, I know that I had experience because I used to teach six, up to sixth grade. And so we did have some that were turning 13 and I think I'm pretty sure I even had one that's turning 14 because he had been retained. But, you know, having that formal paperwork in place is a whole different ballgame because there's so many different pieces of that. But then as you move into high school, that's where it really comes into trying to figure out and guide the students on what they think that they might want to do with their life. And I know that a lot of that comes into the parents as well. Yes. And when you get into high school, you can customize your schedule a lot more than you can in the elementary. Like we have fifth and sixth grade teachers in our building, but they don't really differentiate. There's no like, I mean, there's a gifted class, but that's essentially the extent of our differentiation for like, there's not like an upper reading level or a lower reading level uh, per se. So when it comes mm -hmm. to transitions, it's more so like, okay, what teacher would be the best fit to accommodating the student? You know, what team of teachers would, would be more accommodating in this specific instance with this specific student, which gets challenging, you know, with the limits to how many special ed kids can be in a gen ed classroom at a time. And, and you get a lot, there's a lot of details that have to be kept in mind, but it is a lot less official than the moving to the 14 um, transition plan, which I did do a couple times. I taught uh, 6th, 7th, and 8th uh, for a semester during student teaching and had to do a couple transition plans with that. And they are intensive. Uh, they require a lot of data. They require a lot of uh, those informal assessments that you brought up. 
And it is really important to really try to get that set. And it's not something that you just want to put off to the last minute because it is, it does follow them throughout their, the rest of their journey through school. And it can have a profound impact on the student's success. Uh, and having the student be a part of that is crucial um, because they, their interests are going to be what they're motivated by, which can help them uh, to push through some of their learning struggles. I was sitting in a meeting. Since I took on this job as an instructional coach, I've had to be a part of these transition meetings in the high school. And we were sitting there and a, the student had said she wanted to be a veterinarian. And then during the meeting, you know, it was during an informal questionnaire that she had said that. And then in the meeting, she's like, well, I don't know if I really want to do that. So it's it's hard to try to pinpoint kids down, especially if they don't have enough experience with the different things that they can do in life. You know, there's so many options out there for them. So I think it's hard to try to pinpoint them down. But I agree that, you know, the, the more that you can get them to narrow things down, the, the, the better you're going to do as far as getting them into the correct classes, like you said, and, and then, you know, pushing them towards graduation and what they want to do post, you know, post-graduation. Exactly. Yeah. They, kids often don't do what they need. They do what they want. Um, and so like, I know at least for my school, for my kiddos, all of them want to be either MBA players or YouTube influencers. And, you know, it, and it's not that you want to shut down their dream, you know, if that's re really what they're interested in right now, but the likelihood of that happening is it's so up to chance and there's so many people that do it and, and don't succeed and you want to mm -hmm. give them something that's more sustainable, but you also don't want to crush their dream, <laughs> you know, cause they have the dream of being an influencer and there's a lot of steps you can take to help them like realize, Oh man, I, there's a lot more work to this than the surface level of this YouTube episode that I'm watching from this YouTube star or the NBA, you know, it's not just the games. There's a lot that goes into it. There's the practices, there's the, you know, the injuries, all that comes into play. And that's just education. The more they learn about that, about those specific instances, it'll help them be like, eh, well, maybe this isn't for me. Or maybe, you know, as a, <laughs> some of my kids, as a, you know, four foot high middle school student, the chances of me making the MBA are very small. You know, I'm not Pistol Pete. You know, there's, there's, there's gotta be, you know, something that can be achievable. And sometimes helping kids find that it can be a challenge, but my my approach to everything is educate, educate, give them the chance to learn. If they're interested in YouTube, then dive into that and be like, hey, this is all it takes. You know, why don't you try to make a YouTube video and see how you like it and see how much is in, entailed in the whole process and help them to learn that. You know, there's so many free resources available you can, for like $12 on like Skillshare or something, you can get a full comprehensive view of what it looks like to be something. And if we give those kids the opportunity to see that, they'll be like, wow, that's a lot more work than I was expecting. It doesn't mm -hmm. just happen. You know, it's not all, it's not all you get discovered with one viral video and then it's all uphill from there. No, it's, it seems that way because that's what's presented to us because we watch, we follow the people that, that have that happen to them. But that's so rare when you put it in the population of the world perspective. And um, so, yeah, I think that 
we as teachers, we've got to really balance that line between yeah. discouraging their dreams and also uh, helping them find something that is more achievable. For like the veterinarian thing, like for someone in special education, this is a, a passionate thing for me because I have disabilities. I shouldn't be a special ed teacher by the definition of what I struggles I have. Like I should not be there. And it was hard. It was the most difficult journey to get to this point. And being dyslexic and having ADHD and trying to be on top of all the paperwork and meetings and everything you have to do, I've had to grow and stretch so much more than the average person. and But that's not to say that that student who wants to be a veterinarian couldn't be a veterinarian, regardless of what issues they have, because I did it. It was hard. There was some really tough spots, but I did it. And I want kids to know that, like, the only limit to what you can be is you and and what effort you put in cuz i was grinding my wheels spinning my wheels for many years before i got traction and man it's it's just one of those things like and that's so important for the kids to have motivation and too many teachers well i, I had several teachers say don't become a teacher as i was becoming a teacher i'm like wow <laughs> Wow, that's great, great vote of confidence, but I I am, and I see the struggles that they were probably dealing with, and I see that there's a lot of problems in education, and that's going to be the case in any field you go into, but I, I decided to do it, and I did it, and I think a lot of the kids, especially with disabilities, need to know that that's possible, even though it doesn't make sense for someone to manage paperwork who is dyslexic and ADHD on paper. It's like, that's not a good match, but somehow I'm doing it and I keep getting better every year and it's possible. I think our students need to know more of the stories like yours, because I have set in meetings when a kid says, you know, they're going to be a, a doctor and, you know, whether it's right or wrong, more likely it's wrong. But I, you know, I'm like, are you really going to be a doctor? Are you, do you really have the skills to be a doctor? But I feel like if they can hear more stories like yours, then they can realize that I can do anything as long as I'm, you know, set my mind to it. And I feel like our students need to have as much exposure to these things as possible to, to truly know if this is what something that they want to do. Like you said, they need to, to experience it. So getting them out into the community during their high school years and letting them job shadow or, or follow somebody around just to see if, is this something I really want to do? transition, just to sum up kind of what we said, transition means you're transitioning from building to building. And at those times you are figuring out, you know, the, diff the different types of services and the different types of schedules and the different types of, you know, accommodations and modifications you might need at a different level. But transition also means getting those plans into place by the time that they are yeah, 14 and then working on that transition plan formally throughout their middle school and high school years. Yes, definitely. I Really like to take the time since I'm working with the kids right before the transition is put into place. I really like to just like buckle down on some of their skills and see like, okay, they have a reading fluency goal. Is that because of effort? Is it because they missed a lot of schooling or is it because their specific learning disability is really making this an area of struggle? Oftentimes I find 
when I'm consistent with the intervention and I do it every day and I push through their their frustration with doing it and I help them push through that and I provide extrinsic motivation long enough for them to find that intrinsic motivation, oftentimes the kids are more capable than they even believe. You know, I have... I do a SLO every year as a first five years, you know, you have to do a, a data plot to, you know, say these are the goals of my students and I want them to achieve it uh, for my evaluation purposes. And I'm always like, I, whenever a kid goes beyond what I thought they could do when I first met them, I just call their parent every time. Hey, guess what? They read 40 more words than their goal was for this year. And it's only halfway through the year. And then I use that excitement and I say, Hey, do you want to encourage this? Do you want to help them get further? Have them read at home, find something that they're into, let them experience the fun side of reading and, and build on this. And I've had a lot of success with that. Parents are like, Oh yeah, that's progress. That's more progress than we've seen in years. And it's all in one time. And then that's important Mm -hmm. to capitalize on. And so many people don't do stuff consistently enough to allow that to show. And if you show these kids, okay, I'm actually good at reading fluency. I can read pretty quickly. Now, comprehension may still need work, and that's okay. But then by the time transition, the official transition meeting comes along, you have a the best work, the data of the student's best, most ideal work, which can very much help the transition team make a clear decision and not just make it a, you know, a, you know, another cattle through the, you know, through the line kind of a thing because the student is doing their best. They're making improvements. And I just can't believe, this is my personal opinion, I can't believe that these students aren't able to make progress. I do not think that year to year there is no progress that has been able to be made. You know, and COVID throw a wrench in that. I, I, I'll give that, you know, that definitely played a part, especially with special ed kids. But I just can't believe when students come to me that they can't make progress. And then all of a sudden with me, when I'm consistent, they are making progress. And so I really wish that before that trans- uh, transition meeting happens, that people would make sure that the students are reaching their best so that they can build on that foundation and not just give them stuff they don't need, give them stuff that they need mm-hmm. in their second half of their education. So that made me think of something. Do you, we had a conversation at the high school the other day and they said that they have some students on their caseload that they, that the student doesn't know that they're in special education. So at what point do you, in, in the child's educational career, do you tell them, hey, you're on an IEP, these are your goals? I, I have always told my kids, so I didn't know if that's just something that, that wasn't common, because I feel like they need to know. They need to know that they um, have goals and so that they can work towards them and make the progress that you're talking about. Yeah, that's that's a difficult discussion, because, you know, you don't want it to be a crutch mm-hmm. and have them be like, well, I have a disability, so that's why I'm not making any progress. But you also don't want it to be like, well, for me, I didn't have an IEP. I was in a small school district, the only person with an IEP. There was one student with an IEP at my school because it was such a small school in a rural part of Idaho. And Idaho isn't known for its, you know, 
big strides in that area. Um, I just thought, man, I'm just stupid. And I had nothing to say that, oh, yes, you have challenges and there's, you know, there's an explainable reason. I just thought I was dumb as a rock and I had to live with that. And eventually I overcame it enough to where I was like, okay, well, I may be dumb, but mm-hmm. I'm going to learn, you know, even, even a rock can retain something, you know, yeah. <laughs> if you look at the hieroglyphics and stuff, you know, a rock can have something chiseled onto them. And, and, you know, that's, mm-hmm. I'm going to put the work in and that's, that was the decision I made, but I wonder sometimes, you know, if I had been on an IEP regiment, if I would be as willing to overcome things as I am, you know, that's something that I've thought about, but it's, you know, give the kid, you know, it's how you explain it to him. Say, Hey, there are some things in your brain that make you neurodivergent, which means you are unique. You have, you know, make sure that you emphasize you have intelligence and may not show up in school, but you have an intelligence. But I want to help you to be well-rounded so that you can function in the real world and then find something that uses your intelligence and do that. But for now, let's work on these goals yeah. and, and make sure that you can write a check out, you know, or I mean, checks don't really exist anymore. Fill out a form, you know all those kind of things. And that's what you got to do. And I think that a kid deserves to know that there's a brain, a scientific thing that they're working against, you know, and, and something that I've used in the past is like trainers who are training for marathons or for races or for triathlons, they use like ankle weights or weighted vests as they train. And if you can phrase it as you have a weighted vest, you have an ankle weight, that is something that at birth you were given, which makes it a lot harder in the training, in the beginning parts of education. But once you find a way to get that ankle weight off, you're going to fly. You're going to go faster, farther, push harder than anyone because you have had to work against something your entire life. And when you find a way around it, find a way to take it off, you are going to grow beyond belief. And everyone's going to be like, what happened? And that's what you really have to phrase it as. It's got to be exciting. You are given the opportunity to have a difficult journey to make you more resilient going into the world. Yeah. I always try to frame it with them as you you are special. You're unique. You learn differently you know, you're not the same as everybody else. You're not just a boring old student. You have, you have these struggles and these struggles are going to make you a better human being in the long run. And so I always have very candid conversations about being on an IEP with my upper students, not, not necessarily my kindergarten first second. They can't, you know, understand exactly what's going on, but definitely when they're transitioning from late elementary to middle school, those conversations need to be held. Definitely. Yeah. I think that's so important. And that's one of my strengths going into special education is like, I can say, hey, I get it. I know what you're going through, and it sucks. It does. But, man, 
I wouldn't be the person I am. I'm there's this phrase that I that I've heard a lot is like you've got to you've got to live like no one else so that you can live like no one else. And I think it's regards to finances, but the idea of it is is like if you want to be different, you got to be different. You know, and you've got to embrace that. And and there's one of the issues with the educational system is its cookie cutter nature. And the special ed kids mm-hmm. They are affected by that in an emotional level because they don't fit. No one can make them fit in that cookie cutter. But they don't realize the benefit of that. The fact that in throughout history, it's been the neurodivergence that have made the biggest impact on the world. You look back at almost all of our, our celebrities, the people that revolutionized the world, and they had something. They had ADHD, they had dyslexia, they had something that made them, yeah. And it's it's so true, yet somehow we think the system is like, okay, well, we'll just keep cookie-cuttering it and everything will work out. And, you know, it's, it's hard, I get it, and you can't change the system, it's been in place for a long time. But you need to let the kids know, hey, you're kind of the rebel, you're kind of the one that... No one can make fit into this mold, which means that eventually when you get in the world, you're going to be different there, too. And it's going to be a good thing. Yeah. Well, I feel like that's a really good place to end it. I, I love that. If you want to be different, you have to be different. I, I think that's sums up, you know, special, special education as a whole. It just sums it all up. So thank you again for another great episode. I always enjoy just chatting with you. And I will see you again next month. Good. All right. Well, have a good one. We'll talk to you next month. Thanks for sticking with me until the end. I can tell just by listening to this show that you are just as dedicated to the field of special education as I am, and you want to grow into an amazing educator, and I'm here for it. I'm here for you, and I'm so thrilled to be able to share all of my wisdom of being a veteran SPED teacher on the SPED Prep Academy podcast. If you liked what you heard today and realized you have found your SPED soulmate, please subscribe and head over to spedprepacademy.com slash podcast to check out the show notes and sign up to be notified each time a new episode airs. Go out and have an amazing day and I'll catch you on the next episode.